Welcome back to the Preacher's Podcast. Today we are concluding the Epiphany Season series called From the River to the Mountain. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and with me, and they've been with me throughout this Epiphany Season, Pastor Phil Kasmer and Pastor John Bordelin. Uh, so you can read more about this series on wellscongregationalservices.net, of course, uh, but we started out at the river with Jesus' baptism, and today we have arrived at the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, but I'll not steal uh, the thunder from our two preachers. Let's go to you, Phil, if you could um, give us a little uh, brief on this Sunday in From the River to the Mountain series. Uh, so in our series, uh, the theme for the week here is a, a glimpse of his true glory. <clears throat> and perhaps we'd say um, we need that at the end of Epiphany and just before we get into Lent, because all that we'll see from here on to our human sight is suffering and difficulty and pain. Uh, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus uh, shows his nature as God shines forth and also, uh, perhaps as we look ahead into Lent, because we'll need it too shines out that revelation from God the Father that says, this is my son whom I love. Um, the, the note that we need to know as believers that our Savior Jesus uh, is everything we need in, in dazzling ways um, and, and is, with all of his glory, concertedly about to do the work that makes our salvation happen. Um, just on the theme of the day and the transfiguration, if you get to read in the uh, commentary on the propers, it's an interesting note in there about the placement of transfiguration in Epiphany is a Lutheran contribution to the church calendar. Bugenhagen and Dietrich dropped transfiguration here at the end of Epiphany and before Lent, which is its proper place as Jesus turns to go down the mountain from this glorious moment. It's off into to Lent and all of his saving work accomplished. So there's our day. Okay, thanks for that summary. Uh, let's think about the other readings then. We're going to be focusing on the gospel as our sermon text. But John, could you um, give us some thoughts on the first and second readings and the interconnectedness of the three readings today? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, the, the first reading uh, comes from Second Kings chapter 2. Uh, where Elijah is taken up into heaven, an interesting text uh, in its own right, but uh, but not being on the lecturing committee, I would, I would assume this is this is chosen uh, for this event simply uh, to give our our hearers, our our readers, an introduction to who this Elijah is, um, who we're going to meet on the mountain of transfiguration. Um, in the second reading, uh, interesting, uh, where Paul is encouraging the congregation there. Uh, you know the gospel is veiled, uh, but 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 we see its we see its glory. Uh, we see the same glory of Christ uh, in the light of the gospel. So that's why he says we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's a fun connection on this day when we talk about Jesus and His glory being veiled, and then also His glory uh, being revealed. Um, we're not lacking for anything um, as we. Uh, gather in the Lord's house and the gospel comes to us. Uh, I don't think we always uh, point out the, the psalm of the day 
Um, but Psalm 2 and uh, the, the commentary on the propers, I thought it just has a nice line in there uh, that the church sings Psalm 2 at services that emphasize the relationship of the Father um, and the Son. And so uh, plenty of options in the Psalter for the singing of Psalm 2. So those are the other readings for the day as we uh, head into the, the gospel from Mark. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. The psalm um, appropriate for this day, focusing on the anointed one and, you know, the the glory of the anointed one, uh, which we get a glimpse of there on the mount. So let's go to Mark 9, 2 to 9 then. Um, Phil, uh, let's go back to you to get our text discussion started. Um, Any thoughts that would be helpful to preachers as you think about uh, preaching this text? Uh, I will do my copyrighted 30,000 foot view first and just say, you know, in Mark 9, 2 to 9, aside from context, which we can talk about, um, we basically have Peter, James, and John with Jesus, them alone up on the mountain. They're away from the rest and any other stuff that's going on. We have the transfiguration moment with all of its kind of visual glory in verses 3, 4, 5 six and seven, Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. Um, God's heavenly cloud overshadows them, comes over them. Um, Of course, of prime note is God's statement about his son. This is my dear son. Listen to him. Uh, And then in eight and nine, uh, you have, after all that glory, the simple resumption of everything else. Uh, it's just Jesus there with them again, and they go back down the mountain, and Jesus says, um, this glory I want you to veil or put away uh, until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Uh, so back into everything that they were into prior to this mountaintop experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Overarchingly, maybe we'd say that, and then to jump back to the beginning uh, in 9 verse 2, we can talk through verse by verse or various things. There's a couple of Greek things I would look at if I were walking through this. Um, I don't know what you two think, but <clears throat> I always go back and forth on that transfigured word in verse two, metamorphose, mm-hmm. and wonder how, you know, how much is being communicated there. Or, or is it just that more is being communicated than sometimes I might tend to think where I would say, Oh, Jesus shown in glory, uh, except as a number of commentators say, you know, more properly, Jesus is shining his glory like it's the his heavenly, godly nature is shining through. Normally, all we see is his human nature. Uh, but here, uh, his true nature, the change happens so that you can see his son of godness come out and then he shines brighter than the world. Um, there are some other things, too, as we walk along, but let's start there. Yeah, uh, John, I'll let you pick it up there, either commenting on those initial verses or or something further, uh, or context. We could talk about more, too. Yeah, if you don't mind, maybe I'll start uh, with context, uh, both churchier context and gospel context. Uh, Phil, in his introductory comments, alluded to this. But, but if you see Advent uh, leading up to Christmas and Epiphany, really an extension of Christmas, um, who this Christ child is and who he's for, 
Um, and then you see Lent kind of leading up to Easter. Um, it's you get to this end of Epiphany then, and and as Phil mentioned, you know Lent, the dog days of Lent. Um, but if you can look over the dog days of Lent from the Perch of Transfiguration, um, you get to Easter and you get to the resurrection. And so it leads me into the context in Mark's gospel. Uh, I think quite a bit of ink is spilt on, you know, what do you do with chapter 9, verse 1? Um, does that go uh, with that which is preceding, or does it go with our text for today? And and I uh, sit there squarely and, and maybe come to the conclusion and say, say yes. So if I'm following along in Mark chapter 8, which I think uh, will come up here uh, the second Sunday uh, in the Lenten season, and uh, we hear St. Peter's confession and and we hear Jesus' passion prediction and and we hear Jesus speak of the cost of discipleship. Then when he gets to chapter nine, verse one, talking about uh, not seeing death until you see the kingdom of God. Uh, I see that book ended uh, at, at verse nine when Jesus says, well, we're not going to talk about this again until you've seen um, the kingdom of God. You've seen uh, the resurrection. And so. Um, those two contexts, I think, are my introductory thoughts, the church year context, um, and then also the context of our actual um, reading today. Yeah, that's appreciated. And uh, I think we'll note that on the second Sunday in Lent, too, uh, kind of how uh, that reading, Mark 8, 31 to 38, precedes this section. Um, maybe just in that connection, I note just this, uh, maybe you guys were going to say this, too. Uh, yeah, kind of this radical roller coaster we've got of uh, Peter's confession and this high point, and then Peter being called Satan by Jesus uh, shortly after, after Peter, you know, is scolding Jesus for talking about dying. Um, but now, again, being lifted up again uh, here at the Mount and Jesus' glory, and Peter is there, Peter, James, and John. And then we talk about going back down the mountain to uh, and Jesus' departure. John, to that point? Yeah. No, no, I appreciate that, John. I was just, as you were talking there, um, also thinking through uh, what Phil had said, just just the, the the overarching thought of the day, Jesus' transfiguration. I and mean, what do you do with that word? I'm, I mean, my Greek skills are passable, my German skills less than, so I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not here. But in my old notes, um, once upon a time, a, a German scholar had said, you know, Luther's word for this transfiguration, for what actually happened there in verse two was uh, Verklärung, uh, which is a, a clarification. And so as uh, Phil talks about wrestling, you know, what's really happening there with Jesus? Um, I do like that thought of uh, he is clarifying for Peter, James and John who he is as his glory shines forth. And uh, I think that preaches in a day and age where we struggle to see things um, as they really are um, and our eyes deceive us. Uh, but Jesus wants, uh, wants them and us to know uh, as we ride this roller coaster uh, who, he, who he really is. He really is. Phil? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'll read. Um, Wenzel's commentary on the Gospels often I like just his way and some of the things that he just mentioned John's sort of thought that especially for Peter who's just had the man Jesus told me I was Satan moment 
and then climbed up a mountain probably worrying about that and then after this they're going to have like what any of us would consider to be the, the least glorious stuff um here when he makes clear his nature he's uh, showing that the cross is followed by the crown suffering is followed by glory jesus way which god is going to call them to is the glorious way even though it doesn't seem like it and i think you know that too is a reminder for us and our world calls us to so much other glory and our own sinful natures do too um, and this text is such a stark reminder of who jesus is and then what he wraps up to go do the most inglorious thing. Right. Uh, but, but it is actually all the glory of God right there for us. Yeah. Displaying his glory in uh, a way that we would never anticipate. Um, so the presence of Moses and Elijah, um, how much do you go into that in a sermon? I know this gospel comes up each year on transfiguration um, each year, uh, we have an opportunity to do that. Sometimes the lectionary readings um, give us a little more uh, than other years. Here we've got the you know the Elijah reading paired with this one. Do you guys talk about Moses and Elijah when you preach on this text? And if so, how much? What do you say, John? Yeah, I think uh, at times it comes up, and uh, you could probably um, build much preachment if you know the. The one time you take a crack at this, you know, it could be front and center. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, how important they were in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. And 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 here's this character who doesn't die, Elijah, and then being reminded, and Moses, one who was buried by the Lord. And now they're here. Um, I, at times, have used them um, almost in a, in a defense of St. Peter, as if Peter needs my defense. But uh, I, I'm sure there are sometimes I've preached or taught this and thought, you know, what a fool. What was Peter thinking? Building three tents. But but in his defense, not only had Jesus clarified and metamorphosized himself in front of him, and now it's Elijah there, and now it's Moses. Mm -hmm. And uh, Luke lets us in on the topic of their conversation, speaking about his exodus, speaking about his time of departure. And so, uh, you know, I could think of other things Peter could have said besides, um, hey, let's build three tents here. And so... Uh, I've I've used Moses and Elijah before and their presence um, to to defend Peter. Like, what would you have said in that moment uh, with with all of that in front of you? Uh, great, Phil. Uh, Moses and Elijah. How do you treat them? To be contrary, I mean, Peter is indefensible in actual fact. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, I've used Moses and Elijah also when preaching on this, and I think. Uh, just to emphasize the glory of God's plan that um, those two are the men who have been, along with many others, ushering God's prophecy of salvation through and his people of salvation and the line of salvation and all those things. Um, and, and here it is, like God's plan is being fulfilled and it is going to go to fruition. Then I think I've also used them Kind of as a foil to Jesus, where uh, they're glorious, but they don't hold a candle to the one who, you know, yeah. he radiates heaven's glory in himself. So, I, I don't, I don't think you, I think you probably have to say something because 
not to assume too low, but I think a lot of our people are not super biblically literate. Mm -hmm. So maybe I need to remind them quick what the significance of Moses and Elijah is. Yeah, just quick refresher on who these men were and what their significance was. Yeah, both larger than life figures in the Old Testament, uh, part of God's plan um, at different phases, different stages, uh, and here they are. Um, yeah, then maybe we could talk about uh, uh, Peter's reaction. And I guess what I'm hinting at is what do you look at as a kind of preaching law from this text or... Um, uh, is there some type of malady here that we need to address? Phil? I think that's the question. In fact, I was going to ask you two uh, what you thought about. You know, when you look at verse 5, <clears throat> that Peter's response, and even that word by itself is kind of an interesting thing in the flow of the text, right? Like, in 4, Moses and Elijah appear, and they're talking with Jesus, and then in five, literally replying, Peter says to Jesus, you know, yeah. almost like, like he feels like he's in the conversation. And John is right. Like, I should hesitate to judge Peter, because what would I have said if I was sitting there? Uh, that reply word is always interesting to me. But mm -hmm. the question was, how do you translate, Rabbi, good it is for us to be here? or good it is that we are here. Because mm -hmm. uh, in, in Greek, that hemas is an accusative, right? Right. With infinitive. And usually then it would be the subject of that infinitive. And I've actually preached it sometimes like, there's my law basis. Peter's thought is, it's good, Jesus, that we disciples are here so that we can enact the plan that I think is great. But maybe that's overdone. I don't know. Yeah. I, right. I, I was reading some of uh, Professor Deutschlander on this, uh, on giving advice to God. And he makes uh, the point that, um, yeah, while Peter certainly is, yeah, understandable that he would want to stay there. But it's also kind of the allure of um, here we've got God's glory and let's just stick with it. Um which is not a bad thing in some cases, except when it is to the exclusion of the cross. Um, and that's the, the trouble Peter gets into. Uh, John, any thoughts? Yeah, I would just uh, appreciate both what you said there and also then just the fear aspect. Um, <clears throat> you know, what uh, I think that's a reading of Mark's gospel. Uh, and it's a, you take that run through Mark again and again and just, uh, maybe run through Mark one time and just note what happens when when divinity shows that fear seems to go hand in hand um, with uh, the revelation of of Jesus as the divine one um, in Mark's gospel. And so, um, you know, what 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 are you going to say? How are you going to stand in the presence of Him who is divine? And of course, of course, you're not, and and you can't. Um, and then there's also a gospel truth there too that that he would deign to love us so that he would he would come in a way that we we can handle um and that doesn't consume us so yeah um yeah then um gospel truths uh in response to that um i guess uh, one that occurs to me and maybe this uh is 
similar to uh, the previous section. Again, we'll get to that in, in Lent 2, uh, Mark 8, 1 to 30, or 31 to 38. Um, part of how Jesus shows his love for us is by not listening to us, you know, and proceeding with his plans and not, you know, going along with our plans. Um, so uh, I think there's some gospel there. But what do you guys think about preaching gospel from this text? Uh, John? Yeah, I would uh, maybe start with right there at the beginning. Uh, Jesus uh, takes with him uh, Peter, James, and John to the mountain, and and uh, he knows what they need, and uh, he knows uh, what what you and I need, and and maybe it's a point that we understand so well that we we sometimes miss it. And so, um, just recently, uh, a couple in for a pre marriage class, and and uh, they just they said, you know, Pastor. Uh, it's really good for us to be in worship. And well, as pastor, we know this and we encourage that, but, but it was so nice to hear it from the lips of this young couple that, you know, how good it is to steal away for this quiet time with Jesus, that, that he would, he would set Peter, James and John up for, for that, which they were going to go through and that he would do the same for us um, today. And then uh, the, the gospel comfort, um, that comes from from the cloud, right? And the voice that actually speaks out of the cloud, and and what things the Father has to say um, on that mountain, um, and that uh, that He would still speak to us today. And I guess that's the tie-in with our second reading from Saint Paul. Mm -hmm. um, our glory isn't found um, by Jesus uh, uh, clarifying or metamorphosizing Himself on top of that mountain, but but in the in the still voice of the gospel. Um, and, and that's still heard by us today. So there's a lot of comfort there. Yeah. Phil, uh, gospel from this text. Um, I, I think we should just clearly say, right. Like it's expressed. This is my son whom I love. Um, all <laughs> any of the things that we are looking to do spiritually even in like a ham-handed, sin-generated way, are looking for affirmation from God. And God clearly says, here's my affirmation. It's in Christ, who is not going to stay on the mountain of glory. Then at the end of the reading, what's he going to do? He's going to go back down and says, uh, I'm going to rise from the dead later on, uh, which means I'm going to die. <laughs> Uh, and so Jesus is determined to bring that love of God to us. He fully has it. Uh, and that's the place we find it. And of course, we can pivot away from the law into the gospel and from the gospel into um, application to and sanctification. That, you know, he says, listen to this Jesus more than Moses, more than Elijah, more than anything. Else. Mm -hmm. Listen to him. John? Yeah, just to tie off what you and Phil just said, listen to him, right? Uh, I think it was a, a, a few weeks back in this epiphany season where one of the readings is from uh, Deuteronomy um, chapter 18 and and Moses himself saying, hey, the Lord is going to raise up a prophet and you are to listen to him. And okay, here here he is. Um, and, and that really does lead us uh, into the valley. That really does lead us um, into the season of Lent, uh, into the season of life, uh, 
that that we would never tire of that that simple uh, word of promise. Listen, listen to what Jesus has to say. Right, right. Uh, let's build on that then. Other further thoughts for application um, uh, and kind of getting into the purpose of this sermon. Is it you know just to um, review the events here? I mean that that's beautiful uh, in and of itself, or to instruct people about this is who Jesus really is, um, uh, or is it to provide further encouragement or urging people to listen to Jesus based on who he is? So your thoughts for kind of application and where you're going uh, with the message this week. Um, John, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll just take a stab, you know, um, you read through it, and, and verse 8 is easy for me to skim right over. Um, because as you're telling the story and reading the narrative and the and the and the big bam and wow is earlier on and and uh, number eight almost seems like an afterthought um, and and heaven forbid that Jesus becomes the afterthought um, and so the the one that they see is Jesus Jesus only and that's what I need uh, heading into Lent um, that's what I need. For the crosses we've been called to to bear, that's what I need when it doesn't always uh, seem um, so glorious, uh, at least to my sight. Yeah, focusing on Jesus only. Phil, I think some of the words, you know, the Peter's words, combined with the words from the cloud, lend to <clears throat> taking a direction that thinks through what is good. God's telling us what's actually good. Um, and, and, and so I, obviously we're in the festival season of the church here. You can't do anything better than focus on the work of Jesus Christ. It's right here before us. Uh, but you know, he owns the love of God. He is God himself. He wraps himself in suffering and death finally, uh, even though he has that glory. And, and there's all sorts of stuff that we might otherwise consider good or pursuable or but, but God says, this is it. I, th I think that that emphasis um, kind of drawing us out of everything else and into this focus just before Lent is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, yeah, refocusing uh, our lives on Jesus. Um, any ideas for uh, themes that you're uh, thinking about here? Um, I mean, the, the theme for the day, the giving a glimpse of his glory is something to work with, but um, anything further that you're uh, thinking about, maybe in terms of uh, maybe incorporating some of those ideas for application, focusing on Jesus or uh, listening to him, Phil? Uh, the last time I preached on this text, I had, uh, it is good for us to be here mm -hmm. and and even kind of drilled down on it locally, like we need to be here at the transfiguration in order to really be ready for the passion. It's yeah. good to be here and then see the sun God loves and then listen to the sun God loves. Okay, okay. Um, John, any ideas? Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, you know, the hymnody of the day uh, sure gets some rich uh, things, but uh, maybe also the, are you ready for Easter? Um, if you want to tie it in with uh, verse nine, um, you know, Jesus says, you be quiet now um, until the son of man has risen from the dead. And so uh, I wonder if uh, if this really is the bookend of the epiphany season, starting with the baptism 
and now the bridge uh, across Lent to Easter. Um, are you ready for Easter? You know, could you could draw that maybe out of this as you as you prepare them for uh, the Lenten season? Yeah, kind of uh, as a way of making people think um, uh, the goal of the Lenten season is eventually to get us to cross and resurrection, um, which is mentioned here. And actually in the prediction of Jesus' death uh, in chapter 8, too, he mentions his resurrection there as well. So, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Uh, Phil? I was just thinking, too, you know, in the way of illustrations and how you walk through, obviously there's lots of stuff in this section, but um, I can't remember where I found it. It wasn't my own. Uh, but the the thought of, you know, like, what, what are the spectacles that we have? Like, if there was ever a spectacle, it would be the transfiguration, right? The shining glory of Jesus Christ. So the, the illustration I'm remembering was, you know, like, Super Bowl halftime shows now are like a giant pile of depravity. But in the past, they were just big shiny shows and how absurd it would be if uh the commentator was calling out listen to what you're hearing only like that's meant to be seen and yet here uh you have like the most you would want to see it thing the shining glory of jesus and yet the thing that comes out uh is god says listen listen to this one uh, which, I mean, you've both been saying, we've all been saying, we're not staying on the mountain to be in the cloud glory. We're going to go somewhere else. Um, but I, I think that juxtaposition or that switch is kind of a significant thing to call attention to, possibly, in an illustration. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, the the visual is just overpowering here, and that that all the gospel writers draw our attention to that. But what does the Father say? Listen to him. So be something there about not getting caught up in the spectacle, uh, recognizing Jesus' glory, but uh, his greatest glory is not just in his um, shining essence. It is that uh, he willingly goes forward um, to cross and suffering for us, and it's his love that is is so glorious. And I mean, there's that line, right, in the hymn, Hail the Double Glory, or you see the double glory uh, that we see on the mount and then at Calvary as well. Um, yeah, further thoughts for uh, any book, open it up, illustration, application, or other things that uh, you think might be worth highlighting for uh, for preachers. Um, I guess I'll just mention again, uh, utilize the, the series theme there from the river to the mountain. Um, we didn't talk too much about uh, the father's words uh, from the cloud, but, you know, and the bookends of the epiphany season. Jesus being revealed as Savior uh, there in the river, now here on the mountain. Um, yeah, and that identity of Jesus and uh, the fact that he's glorious as true God and goes forward, uh, nevertheless, to horrible suffering and death for us and resurrection, as we've been noting here, too, mean that makes us who we are as well. Um, so the, from the river to the mountain, kind of the story of Jesus and uh since we're connected to him, uh, our story in some ways too. Uh, Phil? Yeah, I just, I just had written down earlier the kind of similar thought of like, God is really bent on being very clear about who his son is and what that means. And so you get that voice from the cloud as if to say, the one who has the presence and power and person of God, um, 
he's the reign and the rule of God truly come in power uh, right. to do exactly everything we need. That's what he's yeah. going to get done. God the Father affirms it. Beginning to end, it's perfect, right, and good. Yeah, linguistically, too, uh, the, a commentary or two or three um, pointed out the connection between uh, the cloud overshadowing them, uh, the same Greek word that's used uh, when uh, Mary was was overshadowed um, in the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1. So I think that just affirms uh, linguistically um, the point that uh, you're just making there, Phil. I know people can't see you yawning as I'm talking, Phil, but I thought that was a very important point to be made. Uh, I agree. Very, very good points, all of you. Yeah. Um, well, if there's nothing further, uh, we'll end it for today. Uh, Phil, John, thank you for uh, working through this series with us. And uh, may you be blessed in your ministries. And likewise, you preachers who are wrestling with this text, and proclaiming uh, the glory of Jesus to your people all the way from the river to the mountain. The Lord bless you as you proclaim that word.